0: Hello, this is the Conquering Hill Podcast, and I'm your host, Nicholas Gagner, and today I have a very special guest. His name is John McLaughlin. He is a former Army paratrooper who has served across the globe. After beginning his career in intelligence, he attended law school at the University of Virginia and became a JAG officer in the DC National Guard, where he was mobilized after the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. Besides his time in the military, John has worked as a journalist columnist and editor, along with teaching as an adjunct professor at universities in Virginia and Maryland. His mission now is to help others develop as the military has helped him, including through his first book, How to Deal with Damn Near Anything, The Paratrooper's Guide to Life. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat.
0: Well, let's first start. When did you decide that you want to uh, enlist in the military?
1: So I, my dad had been in the army before I was born. So I heard the occasional story about it, but it wasn't something that I grew up in. It wasn't something I'd planned on doing myself. And then I graduated from college in May of 2001. And I was on my way to pick up a job in journalism, was still sorting out the details, was living on a friend's couch, kind of easing my way into real adulthood. And 9-11 happens that September. So kind of took a look at things and thought, okay, There's nothing wrong with writing about what's going on, but I'd like to maybe be a little more directly involved in our response to what happened. So had the classic talk to the recruiters conversation, had some extremely brief conversations with the Navy and Marine recruiters before I realized I had no desire to be on a boat that much, and then talked with the Army and Air Force folks, and eventually, not that long after, joined the Army as an Arabic linguist and human intelligence guy.
0: Wow. So... My brother also—he was—he ended up being shipped to Uzbekistan right after nine eleven. He was in the army. Yeah, they—they um, they told him he was the first, you know, military group on the ground. You know how they say that, right? You—you yeah. you guys are the first going in. So, so you speak a little bit of Arabic?
1: I do. It's—it's it's incredibly rusty now. Um, so mm-hmm. I can—I can do some basics. If I—if I ever have to pick it back up again, put me in a country where it's the native language for six months, and I'll be all right. But for right now, mm-hmm. it's more of a. Uh, a little asterisk on my the line of right. stuff I can do that it
0: is its own thing
1: anymore, which is fine. So, I feel bad about it, but it's hard. To, it's hard to practice it when it's not part of your day job
0: anymore. Of of course, of course. So who were you um, speaking with during your time? Mostly Afghani's, or
1: so I did two deployments: one to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. And
0: in Iraq, it was talk to anybody who talked to me. Anybody who thought they had the info about
1: where the bad guys were at. It could be local leaders. It could be. Most often it was just random citizens. could be the police in a particular district, um, you know, whoever we thought had the info, and we would go around, and I would accompany various combat arms units as they went on either patrols or raids or cordon and knocks as we call them, cordon and search, just anybody out there who we thought could be helpful. I would go talk to them and see what they had to say.
0: Mm, very interesting. And did you enjoy that uh, more than paratrooping, or what was more exciting for you?
1: I did. It's interesting that you contrast the two because they they're two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, I'm speaking Arabic to actual Arabic speakers in country that I'm doing the job. Whereas being a paratrooper is more about the training side of things and the culture side of things. I didn't make a combat jump while I was in. In fact, we couldn't even jump that often because we didn't have. I was stationed in northern Italy. We didn't have an airfield. We had to go an hour north to jump with the Air Force or head west to jump with the Italians. So that made the logistics a pain. So what ended up being most valuable about my time was being around other paratroopers. It was about being in an environment where people decided to meet a certain level of challenge. And you have this culture of improvement and personal development and growth. And that's the thing that I've really carried with me forward, even though I don't jump out of anything anymore, It's that type of ethos, and that's what I found can be useful to folks outside the military as well. Mm,
0: Very interesting. So how many times have you jumped out of a plane?
1: I only ended up with nine jumps, which is a low number considering you do five in training, but we were deploying at that point constantly as an Arabic linguist. I had to go to other countries to do language school. I went to the UK. I went to Germany to help to train at different language schools for Arabic improvement, and that we just weren't able to fit in the jumps since leaving it was such a problem the army has since bought more land where my base was so we could actually mm. bring my unit was split between Italy and Germany you had one unit in two different countries separated by a lot of mountains and it was a logistical challenge for everyone so now everybody's mm. consolidated in one place so we can do the actual jumping thing more often than mm. we did before
0: mm. Wow, so obviously was it, was it last year? About last year, right? When we officially left Afghanistan, the, the departure wasn't very smooth, as you know. Uh, how, what are your feelings about that?
1: It's difficult. I mean, I would have liked to stay. I'll be one hundred percent frank with you. I think there was a way. I There's, there's a lot of different types of stays, right? Staying doesn't mean a hundred thousand dudes. Doesn't even have to mean a thousand dudes. You, a couple hundred guys, the right guys and gals, and the right jobs could be very effective. And I think leaving some sort of at least skeleton presence would have been the right way forward. So I understand the fatigue with it, both uh, for Americans in general and for you know people in at high places in the military or politics. I get it, but I would definitely have liked to have seen things gone in a different direction there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me ask you, what what exactly is a JAG officer, and what are their responsibilities?
1: So a JAG officer, it stands for Judge Advocate General, which is an unnecessarily complicated way of saying military lawyer. So what I did was I'd done Iraq and Afghanistan. I had to leave Italy because I'd been there too long, and they're like, "Hey, you got, we got somebody else gets to go to Italy now, dude. You got to leave." It's like, okay, I get it, I get it. And because I'd been in Italy, I kind of had to take one for the team and where I was going to be stationed next. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get out, join the National Guard. I can still be in the military. I can be a break glass in case of emergency type of soldier instead of someone who had to live in the middle of nowhere. Because i had done that and it, 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 for good reason, but it was time for me to do some other things. Plus, I, you know, I was single basically that whole time. I was like, I'm going to die alone. But I stay in these types of units, which are 99 percent guys, rough, roughly speaking, overwhelming majority guys and made it hard for me to develop you know, the other parts of life, to get married, have a family at some point, to do all those things. So I got out, they passed the GI Bill. I said, I'm definitely getting out now, taking advantage of that. So I went to law school in the GI Bill, then switched my Army job to being an Army lawyer. And what your duties are, it can really depend. It can be relatively mundane stuff, where somebody gets hurt in the line of duty, and you have to make sure that... That process was followed correctly so that this person can get what they're entitled to and both that they're not getting screwed, but they're also not trying to pull a fast one either. Or it, obviously after January 6th, it was could be much more complicated things. We had to answer the question about was uh, a military chaplain allowed to do an Easter sunrise service for the soldiers serving on the grounds of the Capitol? And that's – we've never had soldiers on the grounds of the Capitol before. So, yeah, we, so right. they threw that question at me, and I was like, well, let me just start doing some research and start trying to figure out what the answer was. Because most people don't know this. The U.S. Capitol doesn't have a chapel. No religious huh. services are offered there. So it's not the kind of thing where, hey, we got a chapel. Just anybody can use it. There's no reason the soldiers can't use it. So it can vary. Most of the time, it's a little more – you're trying to make the machine run smoothly. You're trying to make sure people's rights are respected that if they if something bad happens to somebody that somebody's held accountable for that thing and that if a soldier's not meeting the standard, they're held accountable for that. But sometimes, you know, when, when history happens you have to try to figure out the right way for it to happen so that things don't get any further off the rails than they already are.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, things have, have certainly gone off the rails here or there uh well they, i guess they, in essence they have always have been going off and on the reels for a long time maybe we just started noticing a bit more i mean we talked to our parents and like oh well, my father was a- refers back to well and back in the 60s there were all these assassinations and it was crazy back then but there was also no social media to see it and you know to be uh, swayed uh, one way or the other or deep fake technology and the news you know all these different types of uh, news uh, channels and you know all this kind of sorts of stuff so that's so true
1: you know the number of planes that were hijacked in the 80s like a ton of them A ton of them. Right now, obviously, 9 11 is different for very good reason from those things. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking not necessarily comparison with 9 11, but comparison with all the other TSA stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's wrong for these security measures to happen, but it's interesting to look at the fact that we have them now, but we didn't have them then. And that we created the Department of Homeland Security when we did. And we make these decisions now, even though there have been previous periods of total chaos. So I feel better when I look back, and I'm like, things were kind of a dumpster fire before, and we pulled out of it. So I'm very much happy, that, hoping that we can get on a smoother path again, despite all the stuff that's been going on over the past five-ish years, maybe a little more. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, nine eleven was a shock event for sure. You know, uh, I was I was entering my first uh, freshman year of college, and, and like you, you know. You're like oh my god what happened here you know and and the more and more i looked at it and did some research and you know trying to figure out well who's responsible for this you know and a lot of people say oh it's osama bin laden or in you know, afghanistan you know, afghanis afghan uh the taliban were harboring him or maybe it was a, an intelligence agency you know the more and more you look at it and and i i always go back to well how many buildings collapsed that day how many buildings collapsed that day john do you remember
1: well, you had obviously the towers themselves, I be- at least one other, I forget what, you know, they were signed numbers to the different buildings right. there. Um, uh, so at least one right. other significant sized building collapsed that was nearby. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know the exact number
0: right so it was world trade center number seven so there's you can find the clip on the uh the internet as the bbc was doing a live shot and the bbc basically was doing a live shot telling the world well the there's a third building that has collapsed world trade center number seven and the building was still right behind them and then the building didn't collapse till later so like how does the BBC report something like that and then the building collapse? So things like that make you go, hmm, what is really going on here? You know.
1: Well, there's this – have you ever heard of this principle called Occam's razor? No. And what it is, it's that usually it's the simplest explanation for something that's true, right? Mm-hmm. So you could reply it to interpersonal relationships like uh, why are these two people having problems that are dating? And there's all these complicated explanations now it's usually because y'all shouldn't be dating right and, and you can talk about your childhoods, and you can talk about your exes and you can talk about your jobs money problems whatever all of that is legitimate to think about but most of the time it's just it's a you problem between those people so the same thing usually applies to current events and i understand absolutely i mean for human intelligence my job was to search for explanations i get it but usually it's the simplest possible explanation for why something happened. So when it comes to events like 9-11 or COVID or any of the other number of things, understand the instinct to look for more. It almost is a feeling of security to think that somebody is planning this stuff because at least then it's not random chaos. But history is thousands of years of random chaos, whether it's World War I starting because some random not-that-famous uh, government or nobleman gets shot, or any of the other uh, relatively inconsequential triggers to decades-long historical trends that have happened. So, and so, yeah. That looking back to issues like that, or for things like that, usually it is with some texture, right? There's there's always you know people who weren't prominent in a story for one reason or the other, and these stories always have to get smushed down. And uh, you know, even a movie. Let's say you do a whole document about a thing. Two hours isn't that long when you're talking about some major historical event. So these stories always get smushed and compressed and filtered. But usually, it is by and large what it appears to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, right? What everything's an illusion these days, almost sometimes too, right? So it is. It is a crazy. It is a crazy world, no doubt about it. So tell tell me when you say. What is the hidden side of the military and how it can help anyone? What do you What do you mean by that? So
1: I didn't plan to write a book when I got out of the military. It's kind of a, a meme, at least among certain units, certain personality types. You're going to write a book, and usually the book ends up being about how great your unit was and you are, right? And I kind of ended up being guilty of that, but I didn't plan on writing anything like this when I got out. But what I discovered after years of making that transition is that... The military taught a lot of things that people don't realize it teaches, and these these things are useful to anyone. Understandably, most of the military stories that we see and hear, even that we get asked about, have to do with combat. Have to, you know, the type of things that we were discussing already get mobilized after January 6th because those are intense, evocative stories, and their stories matter, and they should be told. But there's other stories too. And they're, those stories are—they're not fit for movies. Have you ever seen a movie version of this book? I sold out completely because this thing has no business being a movie. Just assume I got a check and it was worth one more terrible movie being in the world. Because these types of stories are more about day-to-day life. They're more about the types of traits that get built up over time that allow us to do the things you see in the movies. They're, it's like you know the training montage that Rocky goes through before yeah, he, he's like he's time. like some meat. He's in the Arctic. Right, He's going through some things so that you know he gets in the ring, he's ready. It's compelling to watch the fight, but what you learn from Rocky, if you learn anything, you know, is not that you need to go into a ring and box somebody. It's that you need to train like he trains, not necessarily punch things, but to achieve whatever your goals are. But the training montage is two minutes long. The rest of the movie is an hour and a half. So this is my attempt to do that with the military, to take a look at what it is we do day to day. That builds the type of characteristics that are the reasons we can do this other more noteworthy stuff, and that are the reasons people have a positive opinion of the military. And from what I realized when I got out are things that aren't taught most other places, and there are reasons for that. Schools and jobs have different goals than the military does, so they're going to teach different things. They're going to have different priorities. If your college professor showed up at your house at 5 in the morning and yelled at you, it would be awkward. Right, but that happens in the military for a short period of time. But once that gets established, you don't have to have the yelling. You don't have to have the drama. You only get the growth. And so the book was a was a attempt to say that that hidden side is the day to day development, the habits, the traits, the environment that lead to all these other things happening. And here's how people can learn from that.
0: Wow, very very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I'm. Of you live, living that life and taking those, uh, taking every all those lessons that you've learned, um, how do you apply it today to day-to-day events to to your life right now?
1: Well, I'll I'll give you one example.
0: Right, so you write a book.
1: I wrote a book. I still have a day job, a day job that I enjoy. Now, there's this kind of expectation that when you write a book, you become a personality, and this is the only thing you do. But for me, this is something I want to do next. To my day job, not instead of my day job. So being in the military did a very good job of giving me the tools to take a step back and to think about, okay, I'm getting this kind of, I will say pressure, but I'm getting these messages that this is what I should do. But hey, I'm going to master of my own career. There's nothing wrong with taking in that input, but I got to put it in perspective. And i it's one instrument in the whole band. And I got to step back, listen to the whole song, and figure out exactly what direction I want to go in. Because in the military, you got a hundred things flying at you all the time. You're going to different places. You're dealing with different people. You get a new set of bosses every couple years. You get a new set of peers and subordinates. You are got a different country. You get You're at a different rank. All these things are changing. So when something changes in my life, I have the tools to deal with that change.
0: Very, very interesting. That, um I mean the military i've I've spoken. my brother was in the military my my grandfather was in World War two. He was actually a paratrooper he he jumped right out of the plane on uh, d day and he survived. Maybe. you mm-hmm. know, so if he doesn't survive, I'm not here, and we are not having this conversation. crazy
1: to think about right, because I have some military further back and it, and just you know being in the military myself, like some of the best soldiers I know, they didn't make it, and it wasn't because mm-hmm. they were they were amazing soldiers, but luck is luck, fate is fate. there's only so much you right. can control it.
0: Yeah, I agree. So taking a, a, a broader look at the geopolitical scene right now, um, how would you assess you know, our strength looking at Ukraine and China and Russia?
1: We are still a unique and powerful presence in the world. And obviously, a little asterisk, nothing, I'm still in the military, so nothing I say represents Department of Defense or any kind of official policy. Anything I say is from my own perspective. Um, So with that caveat, we are still a strong and unique presence. The world is always changing. Things are always new and unprecedented. What's happening with Russia and Ukraine is unprecedented since at least World War II, and in many ways it's different because we have the post-World War II system. We have NATO. We have all these things that didn't exist then. Like you said, we're more aware of everything that's happening, social media. We get information so much more quickly. There has never been a country quite like modern China. It's gigantic. It's growing rapidly, but it's still per capita income is pretty low. It's this awkward mix of some very, very highly advanced and developed aspects and some stuff that's really, really not not out of like a third world country stage. So they've got some of the best of the best and they've got some of the biggest challenges at the same time. And there really hasn't been a place like that before. Um, they're a country that's getting old quickly because they have the one child policy that limited how many kids
0: people could have. Because yeah, they I were trying to keep a lid on population. They're on a t- two-child pop. I think they're on a the, yep. uh, they two-child policy now. Yeah, but the, they did bu- bump it up.
1: By the time they bumped, bumped it up, people yeah. had kind of and – and if anything, the last couple decades have shown is that the more access women get to freedom, to birth control, to education, they don't want to have eight kids. I'm not saying, There's nothing wrong with having eight kids. I got friends with eight kids. But they wanted to have eight kids. It was a choice they made instead of not being able to do anything else. So – and you have other developing countries that didn't have those limits, so they're going a different direction. Anyway, that's all to say that a lot of things have changed. There are some unique challenges out there, but America remains a unique and strong presence. That being said, we got to keep moving. We got to keep learning. We got to keep evolving, or there's there's no guarantee. America is not inevitable. America is not guaranteed. It's something we have to actively develop and protect and fight for if we want to stay what we've been for the past 75 years
0: yeah though in my opinion at least the, the world is is a safer place and a stronger place with you know america leading the free world right so 100% agree if 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 we can't Promote freedom. I mean, I'm not saying you know uh, regime change everywhere and you know destroy a country and rebuild it. You know, Iraq didn't go exactly well like we we want. We they described it would. You know, uh, obviously that was based on weapons of mass destruction and what happened there. Right? We we never found them. Was whether or not that was a deliberate lie or not to bring us into war. That's up for debate. But to to have a strong American presence can deter wars happening in other parts of the world. But on the other flip side of the coin. There's war going on everywhere. There's wars going on in the Amazon. I have a friend who lived in the Amazon for a couple of years. Like these Indians are killing each other. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. You know, you just don't know the indigenous are fighting. But there's a war going on 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 the on the Battle of Colombia and uh, and Brazil right now. So just like little things like that. There's wars going on in, right now Sudan's going through some difficulties. You know, so it's just a matter of what we see what we are exposed to obviously the ukraine and the russia yeah. that is a big deal obviously we are we are involved you know whether or not you want to call it a proxy war we're there helping aiding and you know sending billions of dollars hopefully that is well money spent but in all actuality the ukrainian government has been proven to be corrupt so hopefully we can come out of this in a peaceful resolution but china is actually trying to kind of wedge itself in there to kinda of help out with a diplomatic resolution. I don't know. I you know, sometimes wars last for a long time, as you know, right? We were, how long we were in Afghanistan? What t- close to twenty years, more than twenty years, long those yeah, And we still have a skeleton presence in Iraq as well. Yeah, you know being just over twenty.
1: Yeah, it's it's one well, it's funny because in some ways we just talked about things change, right? But sometimes right. they don't. Like right? the 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 details change. I'm not sure the categories do. So mm. And some of these things are just as true in personal lives as they are in geopolitics. You have to set standards, right? You have to have limits and people or countries will try to push those limits. And you have to make a conscious decision about when that is okay and when that isn't. And it is true. A friend of mine who I was talking about the book with the other day was asking, what's a piece of advice you could give somebody who's trying to help out veterans because they keep getting more calls than they can answer, because more people need help than, than any one person can give. It's the same thing for any one country. No one person can help everybody they know who has got a problem. No one country can help the entire world with every problem it has. So whether it's you as an individual or America as a country, you have to take a look at things and decide here is the type of thing we can help. with, Here is how much we have to give and when we can give it. And it's sad because when you those limits are necessary and inevitable for you or for a country. But when you put those limits out there, it lets people know where the lines are. Right. And people who are a little shady, or countries that are a little shady, or run by people that are a little shady, there's no bad countries, there's just bad governments, they will try to take advantage of that. So there's that constant push and pull, whether it's in your personal life or in geopolitics, about trying to have as much influence as you can over your own life and what goes on around you, because those are the same thing. America is very lucky. We got Canada, Mexico, and two oceans. We don't have a lot yeah. to worry about right next to us. But it's also been shown that if we try to just kind of hide, it doesn't work, especially as you were just talking earlier about how connected the world is. a problem that happens somewhere else is going to affect us, but we also can't solve every problem. So just like in your personal life, you're like, I don't want to get involved in this drama between two of my friends or two of my coworkers. But if I just let it escalate, it's just going to pull me in at a time and place I don't get to choose in a way that's going to be more stressful than if I just take the short term L and get involved now. So it's, it's always an ever-shifting series of the, – the standard remains the same of what we want our lives to be or what we want the world to look like. But there's always new challenges that would set those standards and how to enforce those standards because everybody else – the human nature is infinite. The kind of things I see personally professionally helping people out via the book through my job as a soldier, there's always a new spin on things. But you have to try to ensure that the standard remains, remains constant no matter what.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The world, the world's complex. You know, li- life is complex, right? We're always changing, just like the world's changing. And you know, we no one's perfect. Governments aren't perfect. You know, decisions—some bad decisions are made, some great decisions are made. You know, I like to think the United States government has held many countries across across the globe over the years. You know, and and there's also been mistakes along the way too. That's that's just human nature. You know, you can't get around that. You know, so I do, I do appreciate everyone who does serve in the military because um, it's very important. It's very important for the safety. And then I've, and I've also come a long way with, you know, being a younger uh, person, you know, an adolescent, you know, I, I rejected authority and I didn't really appreciate, <laughs> totally natural. You, know, you know, like I didn't really like cops, you know, I did get me, leave me alone. I want to drink or, you know, mm-hmm. party and stuff like that. But now I, I have a great appreciation for the police because they're like the last line of defense to like anarchy just goes everywhere, you know, cause again, on me, social media and news, you, you see some of these videos of, you know, loads of like gangs of people just going to Walmarts and just destroying, I mean, absolutely destroying these places. Like where is the police presence? What is going on here? You know? So things like that's like, why is this country like be- degenerating down to this point? Yet, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those
1: things where crime is at a relatively low rate,
0: but the type of crime
1: and is stuff like that is so prominent. And it's so like unnerving. Right. Because yes, it's not it's not one. Per- right. It, it represents a sort of but it, it comes in waves and cycles. So I live near a high school in D.C. and we've been living in this place since 2017. It's been a great experience. But at the high school at one point, there were a couple of shootings. My wife and I were like, what's going on here? I mean, nothing that targeted neighbors. Ninety nine percent of the crime is people who know each other doing things to someone related. Right. Or just or just people with beef. Right? It's like some of these stories you've heard in the news about these crazy people shooting their neighbors. It wasn't a nobody's in a gang. It's just a psycho got mad at somebody for some irrational reason because they were asked to turn their music down or they're asked to, you know, do something minor and they shot a bunch of people. So anyway, I mentioned the high school thing because we thought, man, that this really sucks. This is like a solid neighborhood. It's not fancy, but it's not like a problem. And then you know what? That group of kids, they graduated, they left school, nothing's happened since. You know, so it didn't. We were worried that it represented some kind of decline, right? That, that something fundamental had broken that was going to be an ongoing problem. But it turned out it was one group of kids, and when they left, that's been fine for years. So I'm hoping it's the same thing. It's this the cycle that happens, um, where the type like there's so much less in terms of. Now, obviously, the last couple of years, it's gone up, but not nowhere near what it used to be in terms of violent crime. So what you have is a lot of property crime, like what you saw, what I see mm-hmm. in stores. And sometimes there is some violent crime, like carjackings, are up. but a lot of other things have dropped at the same time. So it's, it's this cycle of things that evolve and change over time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So also tell me, so why do classrooms and offices fall short? on uh developing us why do you think like if i if i go to a school or if i get this job why why are they falling short in developing you know my skills
1: because they have a specific job to do and they focus on doing it and for schools that is getting you a degree and i'm not saying this in a cynical way i'm not saying they're doing anything wrong people go there to get a credential in some ways it's no different than you go to become a mechanic somewhere an hvac guy you go there to get a credential. Sometimes you know what you want when you show up. Sometimes you figure, if you're like me, you don't know. You just go. I was lucky to scholarship, so I went, and I figured it out along the way. But the school, there's kind of an implicit off to the side development where you meet a lot of people that are different than you, and that's a really valuable experience, and it helps your personal growth to get out of whatever, everybody starts off in a bubble. And so you, as much as you can get out of that, at least sometimes, it's good for you. But that's unofficial, right? You don't go to meet new people class like, t- you know, Tuesday and Thursday right. at noon, right? Like, it's just something that happens on the side. So it doesn't have to happen. And schools can try to encourage it all they can. But at the end of the day, their responsibility to their students is to provide that classroom education. And you may or may not get more fundamental development. As long as you can keep it together enough to keep a minimum GPA, you're going to graduate. Now, I graduated with a 266 GPA. They told they made the mistake of telling me all I needed to keep a 2.0. I was like, well, I've worked 0. 0.66 harder <laughs> yeah, than I needed right. to. I think that's pretty great. Right. right? I think that's pretty impressive. And, you know, when I went back from law school, I had a slightly different approach to education than my first time through. Took it a little more seriously. Right, right. But schools have a specific job to do. And they try to add more on top of that, but it's a bonus. And it's unofficial. Jobs obviously have a job to do, right? To the title. A business has got to stay afloat. It could be a government. It could be a nonprofit, whatever. They all have something they need to accomplish. And they kind of, it's always, almost always easier for them to find a better version of you than it is to invest in making a better version of you. And that's not because they don't care. It can sound really cynical, right? They're just going to get rid of you. It takes skill, specialized knowledge to do this kind of development, which is why the point of the book is teaching people to do it for themselves because nobody knows you better than you which is a great opportunity to develop, but also presents some obstacles because nobody knows you better than you. Nobody can come up with excuses for you better than you, All right. So jobs, even when they try, because I did a lot of research for this book, it wasn't just going to be one guy monologuing for 200 pages. I wanted to make sure there was actual backing for some of the things I'd they seemed true to me, but I want to make sure I had evidence before I encouraged other people to think they were true. And so like mentorship programs seem like a good way for a job to accomplish some of the things we're talking about. They almost always don't work because the person who's assigned to be a mentor, who says they're any good at it, right? They're usually assigned to somebody because they've been there longer, which is helpful, but it's not enough. If anything, mentorship programs can hurt someone's career. If the person that, if the senior person doesn't like the junior person they're placed with, and they're like, actually, Bob isn't very good at this. And all of a sudden, Bob has actually lost ground because of this. So it's at the end of the day, an office or a job, has a primary mission. And that's what they do. If they can offer personal growth on this fundamental level, I'm talking about these day to day traits, that's great, but it's a bonus. And it's the same thing with schools. The military is different. You're around people all the time in a way that you may see your boss at a normal job once a day, maybe less, maybe a little more. You're constantly around each other in the military in a way where you get much more feedback. You constantly rotate people. You're not going to have the same boss for 10 years. Right, Your boss, even if you only have that boss for a year, they're not going to have been there 10 years. They will have cycled in. You'll have cycled in. It's a lot of different feedback, a lot of different perspectives, people from different parts of the country, people with different ways of doing things. And you get all that fresh info and you're around each other so much that it builds a culture of honest feedback that is much more likely to help you develop and face any type of challenge that you run into
0: you spoke about mentorship. Uh, do you have like a mentor that comes to mind that really you know, changed the way uh, you live your life? No.
1: And I know that the, the, the answer to that question is supposed to be yes. I had this guy he was, was... or gal, and they were great, and you know, they picked That's me cool up when too. I was down. But honestly, no. That was one of the reasons that I ended up writing the book was because coming out of the military, I realized that there, there was a gap there. And because I've had a lot of people that were smart, that they were nice and not like boring nice, but just like good people nice, they had good social skills, everything, but they still struggled, they were still stressed out. they were still not getting as far as it seemed like they should or they wanted to. And what I realized is they weren't getting this basic kind of of training, you know to use a phrase about how to deal with challenges, about how to develop. I picked out five traits for the book, five key traits that are essential to effectively dealing with any particular type of challenge so i didn't have a mentor it, for me it was years of sorting it out and sometimes not being good at it when i first arrived at law school i came in way too high. it was too sarcastic too judgmental too too gruff with people in a way that that was an approach that had worked for me before but was not a good fit for where i was at and it took me a while to make that transition i my last 10 minutes of law school i'm like I probably should have done this differently uh, <laughs> oops! <laughs> I'll try to do it. To, yeah, right. I'll try to do better for the for the next group of people who got to deal with me. But the transition it took a long time, and so this is the cumulative body of lessons I learned over that time. Because unfortunately, I didn't have a mentor to who had, who had the right perspective to teach me these things on their own. Mm.
0: Well, I'm sure, like you said, you know, the military, that ha- it, it teaches you. It teaches you almost like as you compare it to life, right? It teaches you everything you need to do need to learn to in order to succeed in order to thrive and work towards that common goal so if you have that goal you're working towards even outside of the military you know exactly how you're going to obtain it how you're going to accomplish things and what those necessary steps you're going to take to to achieve those things i Writing down your goals and reading your goals every single day is one of the, you know, is almost like a secret, you know, like if you can visualize what you want to do with your life or what you need to to accomplish that day, that week, that month, that year, you know, you're going to program your mind. Okay, this is what I got to do. All right. All right. This is my goal for today. I'm going to get these done. So another trick, which I am, which I don't always do, I will be honest, is writing down your goals for the next day. Before you go to bed. So if you write down your goals before the next day, you know exactly what you're going to do, and you're going to have a very, very productive day. And that's, you know, I things like that for school. Like we say, you you know, we're just, you know, they're just trying to push you along to graduate, get your 2.0 GPA. But there's a lot of things that I wish they would have taught me. But teach the youth these days, you know. You know, obviously, you know. Finances teach how to people how to you know balance a checkbook. Number one, you know, keep people out of debt. You know, inspire others with motivation. You know, and, and uplifting uh, content. You know, those are those are some very important things because in all actuality, you know, the youth, the numbers aren't that great. I mean, depression has set in. Whether or not it has anything to do with pharmaceutical companies or just social media. You know, too much time with a device, or just just how life is developed. I mean, maybe their their family, their 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 home situation. There's a variety of factors, you know. No, there's a real I, mental
1: health crisis in a lot of ways, and I'm not a mental health professional, so I don't want to pass myself off as But I have had a couple of readers tell me that they they found this useful dealing with anxiety specifically, because mm-hmm. it like it's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to get overwhelmed, especially in the modern world, and you have access to an infinite number of other people's lives and opinions, and it is really hard. It's like that scene in a Superman movie when he's a kid and he can hear everything because he's got Superman hearing, right? And it's just infinite voices and he has to learn to to push that out and only hear what he needs to hear to get things done and that's hard to do it's hard to go through that filtering process the very last trait of the five in the book is, I call it insistence and it's the idea that you set boundaries similar to what we we're talking about earlier and you have to be able to do that especially in the modern world because there is so much out there there is a thousand reasons to feel great about yourself and a thousand reasons to feel bad about yourself. And it is a challenge to learn how to find the right positive reinforcement when you need it and how to find the right honest, accountable feedback when you need it. Because mm, you try you said a lot of people your personality usually is going to push you one way or the other. So the first trait is self-awareness because you really need to start with that. And you need to learn if you're the kind of person that's too hard on yourself, then you've got to make sure you don't go for too much negative feedback. But if you're the kind of person that thinks you're amazing all the time, perhaps it's good to acknowledge that you're not God, yeah. right? And, and that you maybe you did make a mistake once or twice in your life and you can change a thing or two. But people like people who are like them, right? So it's easy to get into a feedback loop with people. And there's this thing part of the research I encountered called pro social lying. And what that means is people lie to people they care about because they want those people to feel good about themselves. Mm. And there's a time for that, right? If somebody's went through a tough breakup, two minutes later is not the time necessarily to say you actually were a pretty shitty boyfriend. It's like, you know, you got you to gotta pick your spots, but you can't always blow smoke up people or they're never going to learn anything. So you wait a minute, you let them get over it a little, and then you find the right time to introduce some things that they might've done differently. But people have the instinct to lie, to make their friends feel better, but that deprives those friends of the honest feedback they need
0: to actually improve. Right. In order to grow. Right. For sure. For sure. So t- tell me about um your next five years. Where do you see yourself going in the next five years? Obviously you're very ambitious. You, you know, you're, you're, you're a JAG officer. You just wrote your first book. Do you see yourself running another book? Or w- Where's the next uh, step you're going to take?
1: I want to see the potential of this book through before I write another one, because it it is, I'm a people person at the end of the day. And I want to work with people and help people out. Right now, I'm getting to do that through my day job in the military as a JAG officer. Uh, my current – but as I said, military always changes. So my current slot is going to last about another 18 months. So I'm taking that next 18 months doing podcasts like this, getting out there. Look, I've had some some course development companies reach out to me about developing the book into a training course that can be given to groups of people instead of just a book that you pick up and you read you know, off the shelf. That's a great idea. So looking into doing that kind of thing, I am not, but part of it is knowing my limits, too. I'm not the kind of guy that wants to write a newsletter every week, you know, and some very successful people do that. But I I would rather write the book, get the main ideas out there, and then work with groups or individual people to help implement those ideas. So that's the goal, is to at least have the option in 18 months of turning this into a full-time thing if I want. But that may not be the right path for me. So that's the, that's the next five years is at least giving myself the option of building the book into a career while also recognizing my full-time career is something I enjoy and is going well, and I can keep going with a different military assignment if that's what I want to do.
0: Fantastic, John. That sounds wonderful. I just want to thank you again for coming on. Thank you for your service as well, John. It's been a pleasure. And uh, tell the audience where they can find your book and uh, more information about you.
1: Certainly, there's this little website called Amazon.com. So if you go on there and you search "how to deal with damn near anything," then you will come up with my book. Do you want If you're if you're nice enough to look at the episode title and put in my name, there's not very many people who spell it like me, so that should be the best way to get to it. And then my website is my name as well, just JohnMcLaughlin.com. And as these some of these other things I'm working on come to fruition, I'll be posting more and more there as well.
0: All right, thank you so much, John. Take thank
1: care. you.